0: Hello and welcome to the Nature Unplugged podcast, where we are all about cultivating consciousness in the digital age. Let's get going. Everyone. what um, everyone? So excited to be back. It's been a little while on the Nature Unplugged podcast. Very excited to have a special guest, Monica Stapleton. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Yeah. And we're going to talk about your work as a marriage and family therapist and your amazing volunteer work in the community and kind of focus on building community and the importance of trustful living, trustful parenting in the digital age. But before we get going, I want to I'll give everyone your bio. So we're on the same page ready for it? Sure. Right. Okay. Monica Stapleton is a bilingual licensed marriage and family therapist that has been actively involved in community volunteer work or raising her three kids for over a decade. She recently co-founded a nonprofit organization called Disconnect Collective that aims to provide mental health support services and education to the community. This is done by creating a psychosocial educational parenting support group for immigrant mothers called Pláticas de Mejorar. Very good. Thank you. (laughs) And by creating events and opportunities for community building and resource connection. So happy to have you, Monica. Thank you.
1: I'm a huge fan of your work, so thank you so much for having us. I'm so glad that there's people like you that are doing so much to help our our families and our community. Yeah. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Likewise. Likewise. Um, Well, so I'd love to just get a bit more of like to hear some of your background, how you got into this work Mm -hmm. um, as a marriage and family therapist.
1: So I um, went to college, got a master's afterwards, and kind of was just jumping around from job to job. I was living in Dallas, Texas, and it was a really good time for technology and for software development, and I was working for um, Network Associates, and they sold McAfee uh, antivirus and firewalls, and I was doing sales there, and it was great, and the economy was booming. And as a salesperson, there was a lot of problems with the orders and with the software. And so I would constantly be called in to kind of um, de-escalate these sales problems. Yeah. And after a while, I just had a kind of a reputation of sending all the difficult clients and all the difficult people to me. And I was somehow able to work through with them uh-huh. and connect with them and solve the problems. And then one day, I just kind of had a realization of I should be doing using these skills for something better than software sales. So (laughs) I looked into this program and I had always been interested in psychology and the timing just wasn't right when I first finished college, but um, I went into a program and I you know, finished the 3,000 hours of internship and did all these things and worked mostly in nonprofit organizations and in the community in Escondido and Oceanside and schools and mostly with Hispanic families. So um, after my first child was born 13 years ago, I stopped working and I just basically was in the community doing things and, you know, have kind of just been trying to keep abreast of what's going on with families and with students and with you know, just what's happening around us in the world. So I was still able to kind of stay involved and keep, keep an understanding of what was happening.
0: Got it. Yeah. So you've been, you know, community focused for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and so tell us a little bit about what, like, what led to starting Disconnect Collective.
1: So when my oldest was born, um, it was a, it was a very good and easy transition for me. I was very happy to become a mother, and I was very much looking forward to being a stay at home mom, and had long hoped that that was going to be how my life turned out. And my husband and I had spoken about it for a long time. And so when my daughter was born, I was just having the time of my life. My life was very simple, just taking care of her, going to the park, you know, doing these things that a new mom does. And in the process, you know, I just kind of noticed that there was a lot of pressures on motherhood and on parenthood that were changing. And there was a lot of competitiveness. And even just at the hospital, it was, you had a lactation consultant and you had, you know, are you going to do this? And are you going to do that? And are you going to have a C-section? Are you going to breastfeed? And all these things. And I just always kind of thought, well, people have been doing this for so long, like nobody told me it was going to be so demanding and that there was a success track to raising kids this way. And I never really completely fell into, you know, the traps. I kind of just felt confident enough about my opinions or my, you know, I had a background in, in some of these things with children and development. So I, but it was always kind of at the back of my mind of like, wait, should she be doing this? And should she be doing that? Am I doing this wrong? And even one time um, when she was a baby, I signed up for this like, chat room forum thing for new moms. And I had posted a question about letting her cry it out because I was having a hard time getting her to sleep. Yeah. And I left my laptop and came back a day later. And it was pages and pages and pages of why I shouldn't do that and why it was bad. And I was going to traumatize her and all these really strong opinions right. about letting my nine-month-old cry it out. And, of course, now she's 13 and... <laughs> You know none of that really mattered but yeah. it just was always like what about the potty training and what about this and what about that and i felt you know that there was this culture of pressure to having your child be on the success track yeah and of course that didn't end you know because once they're in elementary school it was all these other things and um years later you know just recently i finished like in 2017 i, I read a jean twainey's book And realized that all of these things that I had seen were actually statistically, you know, available for us to see that what we had produced as a generation of helicopter parents and of worried parents and doing all these things. So um, as a result of that, I really got into the community and started talking to parents and interviewing parents and connecting with different groups and um, just thought it would be a good time for me to try to do something to address what I had learned since I had this skill set to do it and it would be a good way for you for me to use my degree yeah for sure and um I just found that there was a need that I was able to fulfill and so disconnect collective took a lot of different forms you know um didn't really have a clear direction at the beginning I was kind of just trying to see where I would land and what would what would connect and the thing that proved to be the best for me and for the community and for Disconnect Collective was this, the group that you mentioned. And yeah. um, that started in last September and we had 10 mothers graduate. So it's a 25 to 32 week program. So okay. it's, we meet weekly, once a week, on Wednesday nights. And it's a pretty rigorous, rigorous curriculum Yeah. that um, basically infocuses everything that um, a parent or a mother... Or um, just a human needs kind of to feel good in life, to make decisions, to find support. We go through all sorts of things that um, we're all facing today as parents and as people. And um, last year we had 10 mothers graduate. Nice. And um, one of them was so empowered by the group that she decided to go back to school. And now she's doing a certified nursing assistance program. So that's incredible. And um, she's loving school, and she's just so proud of herself, and her kids are watching her. And it's really inspiring to the other mothers, too, because they can see that you know, their peer was able to, to accomplish this, and now they have an actual model of how they can accomplish it, too.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. That's awesome and super empowering, I'm yeah. sure, for, for all of them. Yeah. And so, so it sounds like this a lot of this, the inspiration came out of your own personal experience and the feeling, the pressures, and all the fear that goes along with that can go along with parenting mm-hmm. and wanting to do something about that. Mm-hmm. So, what do you? Um, what are some of the things that you focus on in the in the course?
1: So, um, it's funny because I think the key to the success is to not really have an agenda of how each class is going to go. Yeah. Because once I open up a topic. I've learned very quickly that they have so much to say about it. And these are mothers who typically they're um, low income. Yeah. They don't have a high level of education. They Many of them are immigrants, newly immigrated. They don't dominate the English language completely. And they're sometimes... One friend said to me, this is so nice that you're helping the invisible people. Mm. And, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily view it that way, but the fact that that might be how it's perceived, you know, so um, typically I'll open up with the topic and depending on, you know, who's there and how it goes along, it ends up being a lot of processing of like how they feel, what they've been through, what's going on with them, and then they come up with solutions for each other. And um, that's where it's really empower, empower, empowering to them and where they feel supported because it's a peer saying, well, this is what I did or this is how I do this or why don't you come to this retreat with me or why don't you, you know, let's do this. Or and yeah. so it ends up being like a lot of processing and support. But um, typically I'll, I'll bring a subject to the table. Right. And I ha- we have a book that um, I put together some lessons and we have a book and I'll have a plan of... Like, last week was, you know, the first class back after the New Year's, so I had a plan of doing New Year's resolutions or goal setting and and accomplishments and everything. Well, none of that happened because somebody came in with the story about something, and, you know, we all kind of process that, and then it leads to other topics. But just creating the space for people to connect, really connect profoundly with the intent of, like, respect and connection and support and understanding that we're not alone as mothers, that we're not alone as immigrants, that we're not alone as anything—I think that's really the power behind it. Yeah,
0: that's huge. Yeah, yeah. the power of connection. And I—I I, I know you've talked about this, and we've talked about this in the past. But I want to kind of unpack this—the this sort of concept of parenting in the age of fear, mm-hmm. or all the fear that's like—what's your take on? You know, how the, like why this happened, and yeah, and eventually you know we'll talk about what to, what we're gonna what can we do about it.
1: Well, I think the role of the parent has changed, obviously, you know, back, you know, decades ago or centuries ago, you, you would have children, you didn't try to protect yourself against them or you didn't try to have them. It just kind of just happened. Right. And you had how many ever you had. And if you had six children, well, it wasn't physically possible for you to take care of them, especially because you were busy washing clothes without a dryer and without a dishwasher and all these things so it was just you had these kids they worked the land and they just kind of just looked after themselves or the older ones or the community well obviously the industrialization age technology age all these things change now we have I think 1.75 kids or something yeah and our job is to make them successful and right. how do you make them successful and here's the formula you know and it's a capitalistic society, so people have caught on to this, and now it's a tutoring center. Like, there used to be an ice cream place near my house. Now it's a tutoring center, you yeah, know? Yeah. And my kids are devastated. And <laughs> so it's like, you know, you just kind of get this message over and over. You get flyers in the mail like, oh, now you need extra tutoring. Now you need competitive this. And, now. and so it just becomes accepted that we have to do all of these things in order for our children to be successful. And this is um, – we have two of them, so – Or one, you know, so we better get it right. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of parents, to a lot of mothers specifically, this is how my experience was, or what I saw was they're a lot more educated by the time they have kids, you know, and they're older. So when you're 35 and you're having your first child, by that time you've probably accomplished a lot in your education, in your career, by following this formula. And this formula is. You go to school, you get your grades, you do this, you do that. And I feel like subconsciously, if you do that same thing with your kids, you're going to end up having the same results. Right. And that's not how it works. You know, kids are... Now there's like different schools of thought that say, you know, your child, you bring this child into this world to help guide them with what they want to do, not for you to say, oh, you know, I got my kid into Harvard, I got my kid into this, and I did this, and This is what I found a lot in the interviews is that people felt like they had to, you know, I I saw a lot of fear. And a lot of it was just the physical fear of keeping our children safe, which any mother can relate to.
0: And that's particularly when they, like... We don't have parents, right, Sonia and I? But when they're young, yeah, young, young, well, I mean, general, that's... Well, yeah, in mean, general, I it doesn't end. Yeah. You
1: know, that's the thing is, is that that's why it's a really important to kind of get a hold of this as soon as possible and understand because this doesn't end. You could have a three-year-old or you can have a 33-year-old. When my kids are 40, I'm not going to stop worrying about right them getting hit by a car or them... No, the fears are still there. It's just that you're just not in control of them anymore. And it's not your responsibility to keep a forty-year-old safe. Right. You know? And so it does feel like a lot of responsibility. It is a lot of responsibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you know, it can just get and this message gets reinforced because we're seeing all these images and all these horror stories, and it's what gets us most emotionally, you know. I also yeah. saw a lot of fear of like not doing enough. I had a lot of parents, really educated parents, tell me. Well, if you don't put them in competitive sports in first grade, then they can't play in high school.
0: Hmm. And
1: I don't know where we're getting this information from, from the competitive sports (laughs) leagues that are selling it. That's where we're getting it from, you know? And if you don't have the $1,200 to pay for the competitive sports in first grade, then your kid's not going to play in high school. So we're making these decisions 10 years before and investing a lot of time, money, and resources so that they can play in high school. Well, you don't know what's going to happen when they're in high school. And if they don't make the team, they don't make the team. Right. You know, big deal. Like, try harder next time. Or, I don't know, go, go to the debate team or something. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it's like, we're just planning ahead, planning ahead. And, and this is what our peer group and our neighbors and our other generations is you know, this is what the what's prevalent. So I think we kind of fall into that trap a little bit of I better do this right so that my kid doesn't fall behind.
0: Right. And I think what we have is people are, you know, this is a highly highly competitive environment, highly competitive community, and people are really isolated a lot of times. Yeah. Or I imagine parents, you can Absolutely. speak to this too, but yeah. parents and moms are um you know hearing what they need to do, but not Probably not talking to mm-hmm. in groups or in person yeah. as much as in bouncing ideas off other people it's more like kind of. did a, you
1: do this where are you going yeah yeah. To, yeah and you're exactly right and that's something that i saw a lot too it was just one thing i really appreciate about the group that i do with these moms is that we have very profound meaningful conversations that make us feel better you know a lot of times we're in a community of especially in southern california there's a lot of transplants here so you don't have your family you don't have your you know cousins next door or whatever and you go to school and it's you're connecting on how is the soccer team or how is the you know what class did they get and all the talk is kind of superficial or you know there's not enough time to really delve into that and and we're not making time for that so it's just you're kind of disconnected from what other people are doing or you see their social media feed about their kid just joining whatever league and that's all we're really seeing we're not sitting down and having coffee and like, Hey, what are your struggles? Like, how are you feeling? Like, are you vulnerable? Like I'm feeling vulnerable. I'm feeling like I can't keep up. And that's some of the things that I really saw a lot as when my children were younger is that mothers weren't really connecting and supporting each other. There was right. that obviously, but it, the, the norm was, what are you doing this weekend? Are you going to this birthday party? And you know, that was kind of more the superficial, like, events.
0: yeah, totally, totally. And it's interesting, right? Like, um, You'd imagine that with all this attention and all these activities, and all this thought, that the kids would be thriving and dominating mm-hmm. yeah. when they get out, when they get to college and stuff like that. And just just before you brought in this this article, but you were talking about just—I don't know if you have some of the stats, but just the staggering statistics around yeah. college-age students struggling, especially. Mm-hmm. In, I imagine when they when they're going from this highly structured, structured environment with a you know, with the parents a lot of times this is a generalization but taking charge and then then they have to self-direct and then they Yeah lose it.
1: Yeah, yeah. and you're exactly right. That's what happens is that um, one of the things that I was reading about was the important one of the important things, one of the most important things that I believe and other psychologists believe is your child having an internal locus of control and having autonomy, which means, okay, I'm gonna come home from school today, I'm gonna throw my backpack on the floor and I'm gonna go roll around the grass with the dog. I'm gonna go up the street and see if the kid wants to play. I'm gonna go to the ice cream store and get an ice cream. I'm gonna go and you have your time to kind of like go climb a tree or reflect or do nothing or read a book or play a game. And there's very little unstructured time for that or you right. know, and for free play and for, for just making up games and all these things. So and I remember when my um, kids were really little that I would have moms say, like, Oh, can your daughter come for, to a play date from three fifteen to four forty five before karate? Like it's like what? Like no, I can't I can't function like that in that structured, highly structured environment or have my kids like rushing around like it's 4:15 we got to go get in the car, you know. Right, right, right. So I think that's a huge part of it too is is they, they go to college and you know Jean Twenge's research says like we're the safest generation, kids are drinking later, kids are they're not going out alone without their parents and I mean, that's great, but at the same time, what happens when they go to college and they start drinking, (laughs) and they've never had those experiences before, they've never had that freedom before, and it's, you know, they need to be able to experience that on their own before they have complete freedom, and with all this structure and with all this fear of like, well, you have to be doing your homework. Let's study your multiplication. Let's do this. Let's do that. Then it's like their time is not really, they don't know what to do with their free time. And we see that over and over again, especially with college is that they're feeling overwhelmed. 83% of um, college students say they feel overwhelmed by college and 60% say they've had experienced major anxiety about being in college. I mean, college is supposed to be the most incredible time of your life. You know, so... We have to really rethink of what we're doing as parents and what we're doing as a society and what we're prioritizing, prioritizing our kids' needs. I yeah,
0: think. for sure. For sure. And I know we were talking about this a little bit before, and I know this is something you're into, but this concept of trustful living, trustful mm-hmm. parenting, right, as a antidote to some of this yeah. kind of parenting in the age of fear yeah. or living in the age of fear. Can you share a little bit yeah. about that? So,
1: um, you know, a lot of parents are parenting out of fear. And you know we, the helicopter parents, the snowplow parents, the tiger parents. What's a what's a snowplow parent? So the snowplow it? there's all these different all oh, these it? different things. Yeah, but yeah. the snowplow parent is a step above the helicopter parent, which okay. removes every obstacle out of the way for the child. Okay. So they will call, and I had this. I had a lot of experiences with this with my kids. But um, one time, my son wasn't really studying for his karate belt test, and the instructor called me and said, "I'm going to fail him if he doesn't." if he doesn't know whatever he was supposed to know, and I'm like, great, fail him, you know? And <laughs> I said to him, I'm like, he just called me to tell me that you're going to fail. Like, either you sit down and practice, or you're going to fail. And I tried to help him explain, like, you're going to go to class tomorrow, you're going to get a test, and you're going to fail. Like, and it's going to feel really bad. Do you want to do something about it? It's like, and he never really paid attention. He didn't follow through. Right. So he went to school, and he failed. And he cried, and, you know, all this. And then I said, okay, well now, you know, now you have to, be the comeback kid and he did he came back and he passed and he felt great and he learned and all that so interestingly interestingly enough the professor called me the next day and he said that I was the only parent out of like seven parents that said fail him the rest of them were like no don't fail him he's gonna be so upset right so this is I think a good example of a snowplow parent that Got like it. god forbid that child experience that failure and meanwhile my son now we have a point of reference where I can say remember you didn't study right. remember you felt," and as, as far as I can see, so far he's learned his lesson, you yeah. know, but this, this is what kids do, you right. know, and I had nothing to do with this. It was all him. Right. You
0: know? And it's interesting, right? The, you know, we see this a lot in the work we do as well, but this, this, and I think the intention from the parents is really, I connect with it and it's really wonderful to like, it sucks to fail to, yeah. or to, to be, to feel disappointed. But that, as you shared in that little story so wonderfully, I think that's how you build confidence mm-hmm. like oh i didn't like i didn't get what i want yeah what am i gonna do yeah, now i
1: gotta fix it
0: i gotta fix it or I, you know i gotta i gotta you know sit with being uncomfortable yeah and if that is never or very rarely happening mm-hmm. it's a recipe for disaster yeah. i think when they're and on then, their own
1: which is why we're seeing these statistics in college you know because right. where's my mom And we've heard all sorts of stories about this. There's all sorts of books about it. Like, where's my mom to take the sauce off of this spaghetti? Where's my mom to set my alarm (laughs) clock for me, you know? And there's a lot of, um, as you know, uh, Julie Lincott-Hayes, I think her name is, who wrote How to Raise an Adult. She was the freshman dean at Stanford. Uh, And she wrote the book about this because she saw what was happening year after year after year with the kids and the parents calling them to wake them up for class and the parents... And, you know, it's like you're raising your kids. What she says is you're raising your kids to prepare them for life, not protect them from mm. life. And so if they can't wake up to go to class on their own, you know, and they can't do their laundry and they can't connect with other people or call their teacher about, you know, fixing their grade by themselves, then, then we're doing something wrong. And this is where the trustful living comes in. Yeah, is yeah. That, you know, parenting out of fear is saying you're not capable of, Doing this on your own without me guiding you, you're not capable of protecting yourself from the world. And the number one thing that fearful parents say is, It's not you I don't trust, it's everybody else around you,
0: right? And that's
1: really scary, you know, because when is that going to change, right? When you're 40? No, when you're 50, no, it doesn't change. So, we have to be giving kids a new message of, You're I don't know, figure this out, you're competent, like you're smart, what do you think you should do, you know, and put it kind of back more on them of like they're taking ownership of their decisions they're learning how to make decisions they're having to process through the decisions and they're having to live with the consequence of the decisions that they're making and we're yeah. more of like a guide right. in it, you know and that's like the number one thing is just giving them the message that like you're capable right like aren't you smart yeah well then go figure it out like yeah. how can you do this like you tell me how you're gonna figure this out right you know let's work together like how can I support you in your decision you know yeah. and Even recently, my um, thirteen-year-old was playing competitive soccer, and she was going back and forth that she didn't want to do it next year. And I said, "Well, I don't know. What do you think? How should you decide this? Like, what should you do?" She's like, "Well, I'm going to go talk to my friends about it." Okay, well, go talk to your friends about it, you know. And so she went to go talk to her friends about it, and she came back and she made a decision about how she was going to do this. You know, I have my opinions about it, but. What's the, you know I'm not the person that she needs to be looking to please for the rest of right. her life like, right. I'm not the person that needs to be she doesn't need my constant input in her decisions you know it's just a guide right so no that's I that's, that's, that's huge. part
0: of it yeah and I mean I think just going back to what you said about that con that sort of teaching that you know it's it's not you that I don't trust it's everyone around yeah. you you can imagine that like, as as they grow up as you said uh, I don't trust that, that person yeah I, I mean it's a con it's that's it's like another cycle. It's another generation yeah. of going to be people. untrusting people going to be probably parenting yeah. purely out of fear. And the world's out to get you.
1: Yeah. It's a dangerous Don't place. Don't trust anybody. Right. And I just read you that statistic. 19% of millennials oh, yeah. believe that people are not to be trusted. No. oh Sorry. Only 19% of millennials believe that people are trustworthy. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so there we go. You know, what yeah. else do we need to know? These poor millennials. Like... They just have everything you know all the everything stacked up against them but but we can learn from this you know as parents it's like i don't want my child to think that the world isn't a trusting place and we have a lot of statistics that tell us that the world is safer Hmm. you know statistically speaking it's so safe it's the safest it's ever been and i think that's just a constant message that we have to be telling ourselves as parents like i don't want my kid to be afraid of the world i don't want to You know, be worried all the time. Like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to teach my kid that the world is safe? And how am I going to, you know, continually reassure myself that I can do this and that they can do it? So we don't end up with all these kids having all these depression and anxiety and suicide. I mean, we we have the the facts to know that we need to do something about this.
0: And I think just to clarify, right, you're not saying it's like there's no rules or there's no you know caution when it, when it's needed i think what i'm hearing it's like it's a it's kind of a middle ground right it's it's not you're not going there's no rules go out do whatever you want yeah. you know take the guardrails but completely out i think up. there
1: needs to be some play some space in the child's life where they can do whatever they want within some boundaries within a, yeah you know, within some, you know yeah. it's like you know these are the rules i feel like for for new parents who are trying this out and for parents who are kind of seeking to understand this it's like okay what are what are you trying to accomplish? Do you want that kid to walk to school by themselves and you're scared and they're scared? Okay, well for the first week you walk with them, you know, and you explain the rules, you teach them how to look in the driver's eyes, maybe you connect with a couple parents, and then you just let them go, and then you just kind of remind yourself that the world is safer than it's ever been. We have more chances of that kid having anxiety and depression and suicide than getting hit by a car or than by getting kidnapped or by getting all these awful things. And so I think it's just a constant reminder of, you know, we ca- I can't fall into this trap. I can't live this way anymore. I don't want my kid to be another statistic that doesn't trust in the world. I don't want him to be living in my basement, which we're seeing a lot more adult parents, right. adult children living in. So I think it's just making a decision, too, of like, I can't do this anymore, and how am I going to do this? And we're seeing also, too, a lack of trust, a trust deficit in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just parents, it's just everything. You know, in 2018, the um, Edelman Trust survey showed that we have the lowest, lowest percent of trust in all of our institutions globally. So as a society, as a, as a world, we're, we're less trusting in everything around us, except for interestingly enough, your employer, you have the most trust in your employer, which is
0: kind of uh, crazy, but huh.
1: so, you know, this is just really understanding that you don't want to fall into these traps and be part of these statistics and
0: yeah, to take for sure. action. For you know? sure. And I think you spoke to some of this stuff, but what are some, some techniques or tips you may have to, whether it's parents or families or individuals who are looking to live a more trustful life? or to parent with more trust?
1: So I think the first thing that we need to do is really examine what it is, set your goals, right? What is it that I want to be able to do with my kids? Maybe three or four things like I want them to have more independence. I want them to have more autonomy. I want to be less scared. I want to, and identify what it is exactly that you're trying to accomplish. Right. Once you kind of identify that, I think it's good to self examine where you're coming from and why these fears are within you, whether it was something how your mother taught you or something that you picked up along the way with your friends or your you know your aunt or your neighbor or whoever like understand why it is that you're what are your triggers why are you feeling this fear Does something happen to you did you are you even aware of what happened you know and really kind of take that time maybe talk to a friend talk to a professional a coach you know something that can say like okay let's what is it that you want to try to do yeah and and then you have a plan you know of like okay the first week start small you know i want to be able to let my kid go outside and play for 30 minutes by himself. Maybe he can check in with me, maybe I can check in with him, and then slowly keep on increasing that time by himself. You know, so have some plans, have some goals. And what really helped me was really getting like a team of people around you, whether it's neighbors, friends, other parents, and understand who is with you, you know? Which of those parents feels the same way that you do, and you guys can work together, you right. know? And you can say, hey, I really want my kid to start walking to school, how do you feel about this? How about we do this and work together? Because that's where I feel like is the most powerful, especially in your community, and where you can really feel good about it because now you have an extra set of eyes that's really looking out for your kid. And most communities, you'll find that people are willing to do that. We have a lot of kids in our community that are walking to school and doing all these things, and I don't really see this as a problem so much in where I live because I feel like a lot of people have caught on to this yeah, you know, yeah. and are trying to prevent this, but... But it's not always, you know, as available to other people. But I think it's identifying a couple people, neighbors, friends, teachers, something that can kind of help guide you this. And then um, try not to do things for your kids that they can do for themselves, you know, Um, whatever it is. We have a lot of research that shows that chores and responsibilities and all these things are really helpful. My kids wash their clothes. They do dishes a lot. They do... And, um, that's really easy to find like what age, at what age can they start doing things and they need to have responsibilities. They need to have things that they need to do. They need to have accomplishments and they need to be able to say like, I am part of this family. I'm part of this team. So I think that's it too. I see like a lot of people in my neighborhood, the dad's outside mowing the lawn and the kid's inside playing video games. Like (laughs) there's something wrong with that. The kid needs to be outside helping whether it's gardening or whether it's with the dog or they need to have projects also too. I think yeah. projects are good and like learning how to do things together or independently.
0: Yeah. I'm curious just if, if when you started with your family, when you started like instilling the, the chores and, and the to do's and things like that, was there a lot of pushback from your kids or like, no. let's say they had, No. yeah, I'm just curious if they had, they had, you know, friends that didn't have the same, oh, yeah. same stuff. And they're like, well, you know, <laughs> yeah, Stevie doesn't have to yeah. know, move lawn or whatever. And, and how, I guess as a parent, how would you, yeah, how do you combat the... Well, I
1: think, you know, obviously, like, if if you didn't have to clean your house or do your work or go to work or whatever, like, you wouldn't, right? But you do, because if not, you don't have it's to... It's going to be know? dirty. Yeah, so... Yeah. Um, I think they've always kind of had responsibilities so it's just part of what they're used to yeah. and um, it didn't it's not like I I didn't really go through this process when my kids were older because I learned very young and I was always reading and stuff so they always had responsibilities and they always had chores like now they're getting older so they, they have more yeah but um, yeah I mean there's definitely for somebody new starting this is why it's good to kind of you know do these things as soon as possible because right. you are going to get pushed back it's just like the kid that got away with everything and all of a sudden you have all these limitations. But kids naturally, like, they want to be a part of a household. They want to be a part of a community. They want to help out. They want to feel like, oh, look, I can do the dishes and I can yeah. do this and I can accomplish things. And and I think that um, that's obviously it's not fun to be on them to do their chores and stuff like that. But I think, you know, the research finds and probably most parents will find that kids do enjoy being part of, responsibility and part of a family too yeah for sure
0: did i ever tell you about i don't know if we've talked about this but um i recently came across this uh this is like a documentary series about the amish uh, Amish. yeah Yeah, were we talking about that yeah
1: but tell me again yeah yeah
0: so it's just it's just um it reminds me so much of that it's 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 these kind of uh city folks from Mm -hmm. london and that are kind of you know uh high socioeconomic status pretty privileged kids yeah some some with the, the situation was like they never did any chores, never the parents did everything for them and they basically do this this kind of swap thing where they they come and live with Amish people for like a month or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it was really interesting and you can imagine they just like all the funny situations with the, the cultural clashes and stuff like that. but after a few days there's a lot of complaining in the beginning just mm-hmm. they have to get up at you know yeah. at three in the morning or whatever and like there's, there's a lot of manual labor and it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but after a few days, you could just see these, especially these young men who never had any chores to do or anything like that. Never, never really felt a like purpose. a part. Of, they had the the bonding with the Amish, this Amish couple, the parents, this particularly the dad and the, the a couple of these young young boys or teenage boys, was pretty incredible. Like mm-hmm. they felt it was like I was watching. it, This is kind of interesting. And then I found myself so um, kind of blown away by the yeah. the transformation that happened in a few days. Yeah. It just reminds me. Of.
1: Well, and I think that's. Part of the things with parents too, like even with me, like sometimes it's like you don't want to ask your kids to go do their laundry. Like I feel kind of bad sometimes that they're doing their laundry. It doesn't stop me from making them do their laundry, you know, but I think it's... I don't know what it is, but you just, sometimes, like, you just, like, oh, well, they really, oh, they, you know, just let them play, or they're not, you know, and we forget, kind of, like, it's not instilled in us so much that we have to make our kids work so much, you know, that we have to just, it's more about them having fun, or being good at sports, or, or getting the new point on the, you know, reader rabbit, or whatever, you know, it's, like. I, I, it's not for some reason it just hasn't really been in the front of our minds that we have to make them do this like as a society I think just the role of the family and the role of the parent isn't instilling that but it goes back to basics like what makes you feel good accomplishing something yeah like, you know cooking a meal building a fence in your backyard um you know mowing the neighbor's lawn helping community of mother you know all these different things these are these are the things that make you feel good make you feel accomplished. And this is what life is made out of, you know, it's like, what did you accomplish today? What did you complete today? Well, you know, what did you get? And those are the things that make us feel good and make us contributing human beings, you know, not how many goals we scored and not how many tournaments we went to. And, you know, it's just what did we do as a a person and a society to contribute to the family, to the community, to the world? You know, I think that's what makes us really happy.
0: Yeah, that's huge. I think that's very well said and, and super important. I know I kind of jumped in with my Amish story, but I, I didn't know if you had any any um, kind of final solutions for not falling into fearful living or for living a trustful life. Or it was, yeah, Do you feel pretty
1: well? I think that Amish solution that Amish is a is a great story. I actually looked a little bit for that documentary. Oh yeah, I'll send it to you. I'll yeah. put it in the show notes too. It's it's really interesting, and I think we all need to kind of be reminded of stuff like that. But um, I think. The other thing too is what I found a lot of of moms like, oh, um, do do you want to do basketball because all the other moms at school got together and they want to play basketball and then there go all the moms driving the kids and doing this and getting the banner and getting the this and the snacks and all this for the kid to play basketball and I, I mean I understand you want your kid to try new sports and you want but a lot of times I think the question is why are you doing this is it from for the moms you yeah, yeah, yeah yeah is it for you to go and to. Like have that shared experience with these other moms and take cute pictures and or is it really what's best for the kid? Like, do you really want to be picking up your kid at three forty five? This is what I see. You pick them up, you run in. The kids are behind you, dragging along, and you're on your phone, rushing like, come on, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. You gotta go to basketball. You gotta go to basketball. So you can sit at basketball and sit on your phone on the bleachers, talking to their moms. While they're playing basketball so you can rush home and get dinner and what to do about dinner and, and now it's like this whole stress series of yeah for this like i think that's part of it too it's like just being okay with saying you know what we're not going to do basketball or we're going to do one sport or we're going to do or i don't have to go to every game or asking the kid right. like do you want to do what do you want to do right. you know what are the reasons that we're doing this and and every time you open your email every time it's basketball. It's competitive. This. It's football. It's this. It's that. And it's like you can't do everything. You yeah. know, pick one thing. Maybe let your kid pick. Maybe skip a, skip out a season. You know, and just let them come home, and just figure out things like what projects are you gonna work on. What are you gonna do? And just constantly say go play, go play, go play, go play, go play, go play, and and that's it. You know, yeah. and no TV, no this. Just let them understand that this is what life is about. Is just figuring out how to keep yourself busy accomplish something, work on something, you know, go nature, obviously go to the park, all these simple things that I feel like people aren't really, you know, seeing as valuable when in fact, it's the most valuable to go in the afternoon in a park and just sit around and pick grass and look at leaves. I feel it's more valuable than rushing to get to basketball practice on. I mean, there's a time and a place for everything. But I think decreasing the activities and really examining why these activities are important in my experience. Now my daughter's thirteen; she doesn't remember any of these things that I took her to. You know, it didn't help in any way. Like, <laughs> yeah. None of this helped, you know.
0: Yeah. So just intentionality, really, right. really examining the motivation. Yeah. You know, from the from the parents. Who is benefiting perspective. from this? Yeah.
1: Like, and, and is it because, you know, I, I saw this a lot too, and I think we all kind of, as new mothers, you know, we're trying to meet new people, we're trying to fit in, and it's like, oh, look, they're inviting my daughter to be in Girl Scouts, okay, great, and now you're going to the Girl Scout, and, and some of these experiences are value, very valuable, and you yeah. have great friendships, Or, but I think there just needs to be a, like a reality check of like, okay, I'm working, I get home at work at 3 o'clock, what's more important, to sit and have a nice dinner together as a family, or to rush, and You know, just think long term of like, how am I going to feel come Wednesday and it's basketball day and I wake up and I'm stressed out. I've got to now make dinner now because of of, of, the, and it's like, what about the family meal? You know, what about the time that you can work together to make that family meal? Like maybe that's more valuable than trying to rush to go to basketball practice and rushing your kid when your kid doesn't even want to go half the time or they don't even care. You know, (laughs) I think that's the part of it is like, why are we doing all this? Yeah. And maybe just have limits of like. One activity a week, and I don't even think the kids really want to do all these things, you know. And and if they do, they'll tell you, you know what I mean. Like, now my kids, if it was up to them, they'd have things they'd have sports every day, you know. But like, that's just not possible, you know. But I think it's when they're really little, like that. Like, my little one, she plays with the neighbor all day, that's all she does, all day, and it's it's just so healthy, you know. And they're just outside running around, jumping on the trampoline, going. Playing with the dog, you know, it's so simple. And I feel right. like her childhood is, is just the most basic of, you know, childhoods. And yeah. yeah I'm interested to see, you know. <laughs> but you know, they all end up this, it's just all these things that we focus on of taking them to practice and doing this, and did you do violin and did you do this? I just don't think in the long term it's really helpful to their development, you know. And I think it's going back to basics also yeah, yeah. of like, what do we really need in this life and what do we really need from our family? We need human connections, we need good relationships, we need movement, but that could be climbing a tree, you know, that could be rolling down a hill, that could be chasing the dog, it doesn't have to be with the coach and the 25 emails to get them there on the snacks and the, it's just, you know, there's just too many demands that are being asked of us and nobody's benefiting from this, you know, so.
0: Slow it down, be more intentional.
1: Yeah, well those are things, yeah, you guys talk about the intentionality of things all the time. Yeah. And I think um, two more things, a couple, couple yeah, more yeah. things I want to say. One is um, what I've noticed also recently is um, a lot of times we put children in adult situations that they can't control. For example, my son came home the other day and he was shaking like, Mom, I have really bad news. And he handed me this piece of paper and it was this whole, um, I guess they had a present presenter or something about nuclear waste and the nuclear power plants and all these things that could go wrong with nuclear waste. And, While I appreciate, you know, the education piece of it, and yes, it's important that we understand, like, what is my 11-year-old going to do about this besides uh, lose sleep at night? And so, it's the nuclear waste, it's the plastic, it's the Iran, it's Trump, it's all these things, you know? Right. and, And it's, do we really need our kids? Like, we made this mess for them with the plastic and with everything, and hopefully we have some environmentalists who come up with solutions, and... Their generation and other generations but at the cost of them suffering from anxiety because if we're talking about that all the time like oh the plastic or oh trump or oh in front of them like they grow up fearing like the housing crisis the job market job automation all these different things and i just don't think that that's really helpful in their childhood. So I think also just minimizing.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting. I was just talking to someone about this who they were telling me about some research they had read about the, I think it was specific around climate change, the kind of the constant, not that it's not happening or not real, but the constant um, like pressure the kids are feeling like what parents are going, the world's going to end, plastic's taking over, Trump's going to end the world, nuclear... And it's really negatively impacting. Oh yeah. It's kind of the same as like saying Yeah. What yeah, if you don't do this, you're going to hell or like it's like it's like
1: Yeah. An interesting. Constant And if
0: constantly the end of the world about and
1: if they do have access to all the social media and blah blah blah. I mean the images and the messages, like we're getting between two hundred and fifteen and three thousand messages a day and our brain processes images much quicker than it does text. So it's like the flyers you get in the mail, the magazine articles, the, the social media, the, all these things, if they're having access to that and they're getting a paper at school about global warming and about nuclear waste and about plastic, right. I mean, you know, I think that, yeah. that needs to we need to make a concerted effort to decrease that in front yeah. of our, and let them go climb a tree yeah
0: not that those aren't important issues but the kids don't need to hear it 24 yeah. 7 or
1: a solution focus right. yeah like, yeah right let's recycle in our own home right. how can we do this like one time my kids um they went we went to this like tech tech trash thing talk about all technology and the landfills and all this and so I was stressed out they were stressed out and I said well let's why don't we collect technology, old technology from the neighbors and we take it to get recycled? It's like, okay, well, I can't, you know, at a a macro level, I don't know what I can do, but at a micro level, like, let's just call it a day, say we did something and go back to climbing a tree and not have all this stress all the time. And I think that's like, we need to be more vigilant about how we do this with with our children.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, two more things that I thought of was, um, one is... um, there's a lot of value. This goes back to the olden days and charity and volunteerism and giving back. And that is a really, really good antidote to all of these things. And if you can pair that with going into nature while doing that, that's really helpful to kids too. And it's very simple. And we have so many wonderful organizations around here that that provide those opportunities that I think that... Um, that is way more important than the basketball or the soccer or whatever, you know, because that's really a really good way for them to feel like they're part of something, for them to feel good about helping. Yeah. And then and then you never know. That's something that really might be um, something that they develop, that they grow into and that they're more aware of. And that's there's a lot of research behind that. There's amazing opportunities. Yeah. And I just read um the organization I know you, you read from them too, is um Lenore Skazansky, The Let Grow. Oh, yeah, yeah. She said, Stop telling kids to be careful all the time and I think this is important too because I do this all the time with my kids where you they're out the door and you feel like you have to give your imparting words of wisdom and it's <laughs> be careful right you know but instead of be careful it's like you know I say make sure you make eye contact with the drivers when you cross the street and that's like I'm, I'm worried about that you know yeah yeah much. that's real so I feel like at least or like when they're climbing trees like instead of like be careful say you know what strategy are you going to use to get or how far, you know, just kind yeah, of really, really specific scan, and yeah, how are you going to solution. protect yourself? Yeah. So
0: I love it. That's really cool. Thank you. Thanks so much. I mean, it's so much valuable information. I think, um, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to Thank share. You. What are, um, what are ways people can find out more about your work or Disconnect Collective?
1: So I have a website, Disconnect Collective, and there's a lot of research on there. And there's actually some links to um, local charity events. I haven't spent too much time lately updating it, but, um, you know, anybody that wants some more information or wants some more, um, you know, I know we've talked about doing workshops and stuff like that. So, you know, this is all really valuable information for your work and just for families and for communities. So any you know, I'd love to hear ideas or suggestions or feedback and, cool. you know, I'd like to see families and communities working together for for the greater good.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'll do a we'll put on the show notes to put a link to Disconnect Collective website. You. Disconnectcollective.org, is that? Both
1: actually.
0: Okay. Yeah. com and org. Okay, you got it locked down. <laughs> awesome. Well, Monica, thanks so much for being thank on the you. podcast. Really appreciate it. Cool. Well, and thank you all for listening to the Nature Unplugged podcast. You can also find our episodes on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, basically every podcast platform out there. Uh, we'd love it if you could take a moment to subscribe and rate us on iTunes you can check out natureunplug.com for more information and resources and until next time have a great day or days bye bye things change like seasons out of our control if you think you should go i will let you go oh.